Well, welcome back. If you've been here for any time lately, you've been part of this uh, message that I've been doing, this series on Daniel. And today I'm going to continue that, working on chapter 7. And I've titled this one, Daniel's End Time Vision, and what it means for us. How many can get excited about the end times? You know, when I was a younger Christian, I got this picture in my head of Jesus coming back like every day. It's like, I just, how many when you were born again, you were just so on fire, right? Sadly, that kind of goes away after a time. I'm not sure why that happens. But we still have that remnant in us. And there's a little piece of me that I think, Lord, is this the day? Lord, is this the day? You ever ask yourself that? How many are like, Lord, let it not be the day? Because you're not ready. We should always be what? Ready. Ready. That's, That's a whole purpose of what I do up here. When I preach, when I share the gospel, when I uh, share the text of the Bible, what I'm trying to do is get you guys excited. What's coming next? Listen, how many have ever been to the theme park in that Ohio city? What is it? Cedar Point. How many have been there? Somebody told me about was it a slingshot that was 450 foot off? I'm like, what? Stop it. Are you crazy? Look at a lot of you guys, you like that kind of stuff. But imagine, picture heaven. God designed this for us. There's gonna be so many things that we're just gonna be going. Oh, it's gonna be like Christmas every morning, June. Are you in a bad mood today? You got to smile more. All right. Every time I look at her, she's over. And usually she's more encouraging. Yeah, yeah. Keep it up. Oh, keep it up. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're going to sick your sister on me, I know. I have to be careful because they're doubled up now. <laughs> Hi, Judy. Okay, I'm going to get it. Well, we're going to start with verse 1, of course, because that's usually where you start when you start in chapter 7. Chapter 7. Earlier, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and he saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. Now, what I want you to realize is that he's going back in time. Obviously, he states that. The first year of King Belshazzar. Remember King Belshazzar? He died where? In chapter 5, right? He is no more. So obviously he's going back. And he's sharing what the Lord showed him. From chapter 7 forward, it's mostly an apocalyptic message. Meaning that there are all kinds of symbols used. Symbols that represent future things, whether they're nations or, or people. And, and usually they're not 
mentioned by name, usually it's more of a, an animal or metal or something like that, a human figure. Uh, when reading apocalyptic material, it is important to keep everything in context. And I wanted to share this before I started. I got this in my devotion, and this is from Richard Dresselhaus. He's one of the main voices in the Assemblies of God. And he said this, i got to find it, sorry. In his devotion, he said, The plain reading, that's the best way to understand Scripture. Familiarize yourself with the historical content. Seek to grasp the meaning intended by the author. And that's what I want to point out today. Then you can discover the plain meaning of Scripture. The temptation is to read into Scripture what is not there. Have you ever sat under somebody that did that? They, they take Scripture out of context and you're going, that's not what that meant. We need to not do that. Instead, and this is the point I wanted to emphasize, instead, ask the Holy Spirit, say, ask the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit. to reveal the Word of God. And what it means. All right, how many do that when you sit down and you open your Bible? Great, I love it. Look at the hands going up. Everybody here should do that. Otherwise, you're saying, I know it all. Well, what does that say? It says you're a know-it-all. Nobody here knows it all. You know, I've studied. I spent three years getting my master's at an old age, by the way. And what did it do for me? It made me realize how much I don't know. Only God knows everything. But God is willing to share those nuggets with you if you invite him to help you with that. So ask the Holy Spirit to open the word up to your heart. I'm going to stop there. I like what uh, Longman said about this, and I'm going to quote this. This is from the Preaching Christ from Daniel commentary. The key to the interpretation of images, and there are a lot of them in Daniel's dream, is to find the point of connection with their intended meaning and not push the peripheral elements of the comparison. This means we will be left with gray areas. Is that okay that sometimes we don't know exactly what the author is trying to say? How many have ever read your Bible and you went, I don't get it. It's okay. It's okay to say, look, I... Maybe somewhere down the road, God will reveal it to me. But for right now, this is a gray area. Some of the points of comparison will be obvious, but others will not be. So if it's obvious, it's okay to take it literally, right? But if it isn't obvious, don't go too far with it. Don't go too far with your own interpretation. And he says this, he says, at such points we need to hold back and not insist on our own interpretation. Now, in the past, I pushed things way beyond the limit. And I'm just admitting it. And I shouldn't have done that as a pastor. I've realized that we really need to take it literally if its intended meaning is there. But if it isn't, if it's a gray area, we need to hold back on what we think it says. Or we need to preface it with, I feel like, so if you hear me say that, you know that this is my interpretation of it, not necessarily what the Bible is saying. 
And then you can check the Spirit, you know, is the Spirit confirming it with you or not? The reason this is so important is that when we add too much to a, a biblical text, we can actually water it down. And we don't want to do that. We can, we can drown out the, the author's original intent, which is never what we want to do. We want to understand it from the author's viewpoint. What was Daniel trying to express here? What was God showing him? And this applies to any other passage in the Bible, whether it's the Apostle Peter or Paul or Jesus, who, whoever is speaking. He's going to be a preacher. <laughs> Another point to consider comes from a man by the name of Block, and he points this out. He says this. He says, the intention of apocalyptic is not to chart out God's plan for the future so that future generations may draw up calendars. Do you understand what, the, what he's saying? When we read prophecy... It isn't so that we'll be able to put a, a date on Jesus' return. That's not what God intends. In fact, and he goes on to say this, he wants to assure the present generation that perhaps, contrary to the appearance, listen to this, God is still on the throne and that the future is firmly in his hands. When you look at this dream in chapter 7, you'll see that God wanted to encourage his people. Who were his people at the time? Israel, the Jewish people. And where were they? Captivity in Babylon under different kings for how many years? 70 years. How many can say 70 is a long time? I'm almost there. <laughs> Trust me when I say this, that's a long time. Amen. This is not the place for you to amen. In Daniel 7, 18, and, and I'm going to get there later, but he says this, he says, But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom, and they will rule forever and ever. Can you see why I say God was trying to encourage his people who were in captivity? They had nowhere to turn. They were seen. Listen, Daniel, he had the favor of God on him, and he kept rising up. Each king came into power, and for whatever reason, God's favor, God's blessing, Daniel would raise, be rose. How do you say that? God rose him up into the capacity of sometimes the second in command that's pretty cool so no doubt if he wanted a good meal he could get it no doubt if he wanted nice clothes he could get them no doubt where he lived was a nice place the other people the other jewish people they didn't have that kind of favor in fact they were seen as outcasts as aliens you know, it can kind of help us to even feel a little bit what it might feel like for somebody coming up across the border. When they come into this country and, and they don't know our language yet. And how do people treat them? Sometimes not very well, right? 
They just want to make a living. They want, they've heard about the American dream. They just want to come up and enjoy that. But often people turn their backs on them. They reject them. Ah, you're not one of us. You're one of them. That's how the Jewish people felt. They were never invited into that culture. They were always treated as second-class citizens. And their hope was dashed. They used to be the apple of God's eye. And now, God had done this to them. And with this dream coming from this prophet Daniel, God was trying to show his people, I'm not done with you yet. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. And this leads me to this. God's people must keep their eyes on Jesus and not lose faith. Can you say that with me? God's people must keep their eyes on Jesus and not lose faith. Now, can we make this personal? The eyes. I must keep my eyes on Jesus and not lose faith. One more time. I must keep my eyes on Jesus and not lose faith. Why am I saying this over and over? Because when you get stuck in something, you may not even see it coming. How many of you, you saw something tragic coming? Not very often. God doesn't, doesn't give us a glimpse of that. But sometimes you go around that next corner, Monday turns into Tuesday, and you're going, what just happened? You lose your job. More tragically, you lose your family. Some of you know what I'm saying. You've been there. Were you expecting that? No. But it happened. So what do you do? You keep your eyes on Jesus and you don't lose faith. Hallelujah. That's good preaching, Pastor. We must recognize the Scriptures are full of examples where the holy people of God, I'm going to call them saints, the saints of God, come under full attack. And the only thing they're left with is their faith. How would you survive if that's all you had? How would you survive? When the chips are down, when the devil seems to have leveled off on you, and listen, we've seen this lately. Whatever this church is doing, it's doing something right because we have been under attack. You know what I'm saying? How many can say amen? The rest of you are lying. It has been one battle after another battle after another battle. And I was telling one of the brothers this morning, Brother Dan, I came in the office and let me back up. Yesterday I came in and I felt the pressures so strong that I came in and I just spent a couple of hours in here praying and just worshiping. Amen. And I'm going to share about my wife in a minute, but for now I'll just leave it at that. And I'm in here praying and I'm just, and everything's going wrong. The computer crashed. I'm like, no! There's nobody here tomorrow to fix it. 
So I'm scrambling back there, and I'm praying, and I'm praying in the Spirit. You know, I'm speaking in tongues back there going, Lord, you got to fix this. And after an hour, finally, we got the thing fixed. And I say, we, he and I, and then my son finally got into it, and, and I'd already fixed it. Glory to God. I come in this morning, and I'm still feeling that kind of thing, you know. The enemy hates us. If you serve Jesus, you are an anathema to him. He doesn't like you. But God does. Which one are you going to please? I'd rather please God, not the devil. So we can expect these assaults. And I walk in my office. I go into my restroom and I, I did some things in there and I came out. And the coffee pot top flies at me. And I'm not trying to make stuff up, okay? I've never seen it do that before. And I'm thinking, all right, did that really just happen? And I have a camera in my office, so I went back and looked. It didn't show it flying at me, but it showed it on the coffee pot, and then it showed me picking it up. And I'm like, whoa, he's mad. Whatever we're doing, we're doing it right, because the devil is not happy with this church. And this is where I, I want you to understand, we're going to get knocked down. And when we do, what do we do? We get back up. Amen. Say it, get back. Go back to God. Listen, that, that's a critical part. You got to get up first, but then go back to God and get the victory. Get, or I'm sorry, get the strength from the Lord. Get strong in Jesus. And I had a picture of my grandson who's a bodybuilder, and I wanted to show it, but I couldn't figure out how to, how to put it up there. But he's doing this. And sometimes we need to do that. Would you stand up just for, just humor me. Stand up for a minute. All right. Yeah, Sarah's already got it down. Just go, Argh! It's like the Hulk kind of thing, you know? Argh! And the madder he got, the bigger he got, the badder he got. And sometimes that's what we need to do in Jesus. Right? Where's our strength come? Comes from the Lord, always. And then we need to get the victory. Doggone it, stop letting this stuff trample all over you. Too many of us have just been letting the devil kick our behinds, get us down on the ground, and he's just stomping on us. And it's time to grab that foot and go, raw. Satan, you are under my feet in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So don't give up and don't give in to the devil. That's good news. That's good preaching. God intended his, Daniel's vision to help restore the faith of his people. According to Bible prophecy, there is a day coming when Jesus is going to sit on his throne. And all the saints, say all the saints, all the, saints. All the holy ones that are with him are going to rule at Jesus' side. For how long? 
You can't beat that. They were in captivity 70 years. Big deal. They're going to be with the Lord forever. Forever and ever. And ever. And ever. And ever. And ever and ever. I'll stop there. One other thing I really wanted to point out, just to make it clear. Jesus said this. He said, whenever you read a prophecy, don't try to pin down when it's going to happen. And I've shared this before, but it just bears witness. He said this in Mark. He said, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. He was talking about his return when God was going to restore his kingdom. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. What? Do you realize Jesus doesn't even know the day he's coming back? He's waiting for dad to go, okay, son, go get him. Go get him. Even Jesus has to wait. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. Pretty simple things, right? As believers, our job is to stay alert, not to be date setting. And I was going to go into a whole long thing about that, but you guys are smart enough. You've read about the false prophecies that people have made. Do you remember back in the 80s, for those of you who are old, 88, 88 ways God's going to, re, or reasons God's going to return in 1988. And, and it was written by a, a Christian guy that happened to be a NASA engineer, and he got a lot of, he got a lot of sales, but it was false. Did it happen? Well, if Jesus came back, there weren't very many that went with him, all right, including me. I don't believe it. Sorry. Keep our eyes on the prize. What is that? Eternal life. That we will rule with Jesus forever. Some think it's going to be boring. When we get to heaven, it's going to be boring. Oh, we're all going to sit there, and we're just going to do this all day long. And listen, I think there's going to be some of that. And here's my thought. When we're doing this, it's going to be every fiber in your spiritual body, whatever that looks like, is going to stand at attention, and you're just going to go. <gasps> Remember the Jesse Duplantis grin? <laughs> That's how we're all going to be. We're going to want to be there. But I think if we were there all the time, I don't know. I think there are going to be a lot of other things we're going to get to do in heaven. Maybe things we wanted to do here, but we didn't because we were faithful. We didn't have time to do everything. And I think when we get to heaven, God's just going to go. Take care of that forest, Norm. I'm going to be the forest tender. It's going to have lots of lakes. And you know what's in lakes. Water. June? I opened that can of worms. 
Jesus, speaking to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he said this. He said, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and the times. They're not for you to know. Should we be worrying about when Jesus is coming back? No. What should we do? Be on guard. Stay alert. It's that simple. (laughs) I've done a whole sermon on this before. The date Jesus the King will return on earth is not for you and me to know. If we did know, we might be tempted to do what? Sit back and wait until he got here. <laughs> well, Jesus is coming on July 11th. Can't you wait? No. We don't know when he's coming, so we have to stay alert, be on guard. Don't listen to anyone who sets dates or times. Say that again. Do not listen to anybody who sets dates or times. There are a lot of cults out there that that try to do that, and they end up looking silly. They're false prophets. Instead, stay busy sharing your faith and remaining alert. As we study Daniel's vision and other prophetic voices, We need to heed Jesus' advice on this. We need to recognize that when God gives a prophecy, it is meant to encourage his people and bring peace. Remember what Block said? He said, it is never about drawing up calendars. Don't do that. Quite frankly, as will become clear as we continue here, even Daniel was mystified by this vision. He didn't understand it. One last thing before I move to verse 2. Starting in verse 7, it shifts from more of somewhat of a narrative type thing where there was a third person telling the story. In chapters 1 through 6, it was somebody else. Now it's shifting to Daniel telling the story. He's doing it in a a first person type thing. So let's move there, verse 2. In my vision, see, and those are my highlights, but in my vision, I saw a great churning, a great storm churning the surface of a great sea. Am I saying that right? In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning, I think I missed a word, on the surface of a great sea, with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. Now in Bible terms, whenever something comes out of the water like that or out of the sea, it's usually a sign of confusion or unorganized chaos. This vision is somewhat of a night terror for the prophet as he describes it. He saw first three hybrid beasts. These aren't things we would see in the the wild, okay? The first one, has anybody ever seen a lion with eagle's wings? No. How about a bear with three ribs coming out? Probably not. Or last, a leopard with four wings and four heads. That's a real mutant. Then Daniel sees the fourth beast, And this one really shook him in verse 7. 
Then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth, and it trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. Now, I'm not going to get into what this is yet, because God actually comes back and he tells Daniel what it means, and we'll get into that next week. So I'm laying the foundation right now. But perhaps you noticed how Daniel's dream resembles King Nebo, King Nebuchadnezzar's, remember? Only his dream, it was a, a, a human figure, and it was differentiated by what? The metals, right? What it was made out of. Yeah, bronze and, and iron. There was iron in it. And each of the different metals represented different nations. All right? That was in chapter 2 of Daniel. Now we see Daniel's vision, and here he's got four beasts, four hybrid beasts that he's describing. And each one, of course, represents a nation or something like that or a person. The other thing that, that I needed to point out is that both Daniel and Nebo's dream ends with this that there is going to be a nation that lasts forever. Huh. I've already kind of, spoiler alert, given that one up. But whose nation do you think it's going to be? God's nation. We'll talk about that more later. But these verses are intended to encourage us. Verse 8, Daniel continued, as I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. And I'm just sitting there going, ooh. Everybody go, ooh. Thanks to Hollywood, I got a vivid picture of that in my head. Not cool. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. You know what that means, right? Pride? You aren't going to tell me what to do. Arrogance? Ha! I'm way better than you have ever been. Daniel's description of the fourth beast Sounds like something out of a horror flick. And in verse 8, the beast morphs into something like a human. Who was the little horn that cursed at God? Who do you think he was? Yeah, you're getting there. There you go, the Antichrist. We're going to get to that. All right. Many think it is the Antichrist. Then the story shifts, and Daniel begins to see something marvelous unfolding before his eyes. This is the exciting part. Poke your neighbor and say, this is exciting. Verse 9, I watched as thrones were put in place, and the Ancient One sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. 
He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Now, if you have some of the, the older language, the King James, it, it's tens, tens, ten times, ten thousand times ten thousand is what it says. Yeah, that's it. But millions of, they didn't have a word for millions of angels. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened. Everybody say, uh-oh. But it's not uh-oh if you're a believer. It isn't uh-oh for the people of God who have chosen to follow Jesus. If you've confessed your sins and God has forgiven you, these books being opened, they're just going to say, yep, name's in here, come on in. Yep, name's in here, come on in. But those who don't choose Jesus, those who reject God, this is who this is referring to. The books were opened. Hallelujah. God has set up court, folks, in this verse, in these verses. Holiness, by the way, is portrayed by the, the pure white. Now, I was going to do something up here, and I, I should have. I don't have it here. Oh, yeah, I do. I often do this because I don't want anybody thinking, well, I'm a white man, so he's talking about me. Brother, you mind? Can I have you come up here? I love you. You're a little darker than I am. So what I'm sharing here, I'm not talking about white folk. Because this is really white, and this isn't even an example of the pureness of God. God's whiteness will be brilliantly white. You won't be able to look at him. You compare this to me, you can tell, or to you, God is way whiter than we are. So he's not talking about skin color. And I'm just trying to point this out, because sometimes people get the wrong idea. That white people are dominant, white people are all that. No, we're not. We're sinners. Just like everybody else, right? I love you. Thank you. I wish I were darker. Without getting skin cancer. Hallelujah. The fire represents God's judgment. It can also represent his refining. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, when we become born again, what does he try to do? He tries to sanctify us. That's a, that's a Christian word. Christianese. Sanctify. I'll sanctify, brother. And that just means that you're walking the walk, not just talking the talk. All of us need to, to take this to heart. If, if you're saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you walk out of here and you, make, you break every law of God and you continue sinning, a lifestyle of sin, you're a hypocrite is what you are. We need to be real with people. Take your sins to God. He, he wants to forgive you. 
He wants to put them under the blood of Jesus. Jesus died for you. He died for your sins. And once they're under the blood, what? That's it. The only person that can go back and dig them up again is you. So leave them there. If you put it under the blood, leave it there. But the Holy Spirit tries to sanctify us. And I use the word try only because it's a joint effort. God will not make you do anything against your will. But if you will that God help you, God will. And that's what I was talking about earlier, about going back to Jesus for your strength. Get the Holy Spirit on your side. Pray. I prayed yesterday. I had to. I just felt the pressure. It was so strong that the enemy was coming against this church so strong. And I had some others that were praying for me. It wasn't just me. And that's where I started to rise up, and I felt the strength of the Lord. And when I walked out of here at 6.30 yesterday, I felt like I had the victory. God wants to refine you. Let him. Let him. How do you do that? Holy Spirit, what's in me that shouldn't be? What do I need to get rid of that doesn't belong? What is against God in my life? Have I set up an idol that takes priority over him? I want to tear it down in Jesus' name. These prophecies are meant to encourage, encourage, encourage. Verse 11. Oh, sorry. God wins. Woo! Yeah, give him the glory. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I always, if you have one of these little dogs, I'm sorry. Those little teeny chihuahuas. I love dogs, all right. As far as dog breeds go, I'm not sure that is one, but no, I'm kidding, all right? If you have a chihuahua, I'm sorry. But picture, picture that arrogant little horn. Horn. Like a little chihuahua. Right? I mean, one swift kick, and it's lights out for that thing. Of course, you don't do that because you're merciful. But it's like, come on, stop it. That's what God felt. Is he's listening to this arrogant little horn. What's he doing? Ha! You think you can take me out? Ha! I kept watching, Daniel said, until the fourth beast was killed. And its body was destroyed by fire. It's kind of a spoiler alert. We see what happens before the end. Now the other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a little longer. And I'll get into this more next week. 
These are the nations that continued to advance, but they lost their power. All right? But God didn't wipe them out. But this last one, what did it say? His body was destroyed by fire. He's taking them out, folks. And it's coming. It's coming soon. Again, the little horn is thought to be the Antichrist. He's the one that's mouthing off to God. He's the one who will set up the abomination in the temple. And by the way, this isn't the Marvel comic character called Abomination. This is the abomination that is set up in the temple of God and the Antichrist is going to require everyone to worship him. Where have we seen that before? And if they don't worship, what are they going to do? They're going to kill them. They're going to be martyred. This is coming, and I'll get into that more as we continue in this series. But when Jesus returns, say when Jesus returns. He's going to destroy the devil and his henchmen, including the Antichrist. Give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. I wanted to back up here just to leave it here just for a second. Whenever we see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, who do you think that means? Is it obvious? Anybody here that is going, eh, I don't know. And you dare raise your hand. Nobody, nobody's raising their hands. Well, I'm going to show you anyway. I'm going to give you some proof text. The Son of Man is God. We see this in Revelation. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him. Even those who pierced him. Where did he come from? On the? Who is this? Jesus. How do we know that? Thank you. Jesus was pierced on the cross. It can be speaking about no one else. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Huh. When Jesus shows up, there are going to be a lot of folks who aren't going to be happy. <laughs> They're going to be going, oh no, <laughs> it was truth. What that preacher said was real. Jesus is coming back. And he's here. And I never said yes to him. They're going to mourn. It's too late. It is too late. Verse 13. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, and he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. <laughs> so now we see the Son of Man is wearing this gold sash. It's Jesus for crying out loud. And then verse, chapter 14, verse 14. Then I saw a white cloud Seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. And he had a 
gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. What do you think he's going to do with that sickle? If you go back, I believe it was Matthew that talked about when the wheat and the tares grew together. And Jesus said, just leave them, let them grow together. When the harvest comes in, I'll take care of it. That's what the sickle is going to do. This is judgment, folks. Those who said yes to Jesus, they're going to be right behind him. They're going to be with Jesus, celebrating. Yes, finally, God's nation is going to take its place. But those who didn't accept Jesus, that didn't pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know I need a Savior. Those people are going to pay the ultimate price. And that sickle is going to be taken or are going to be swung, and the people are going to be taken. And where are they going to be taken to? They're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Just like you do with weeds. All right? It's called hell. Jesus is coming back to judge. Hallelujah. I don't know if I skipped this verse, but if I did, I didn't mean to. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into His presence. The final verse, as I begin to close. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey Him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it ensures that you will live forever. When the books are open, your name is going to be written in the Lamb's book of life. You're going to live with Him forever and ever and ever. God's kingdom will never end. And you're going to be a part of that if you're a follower of Jesus. Again, next week we'll finish this chapter, but just to say today, as I begin to close, I felt in the Spirit that there's somebody here today that's questioning God. And it isn't that they question that He exists. It's that they are questioning whether He could forgive them for some of the horrendous sins that this person has committed against humanity and God. You know, when you sin, it's not just against people, but it's against people and God. And God knows everything we do. He knows every, every detail of our life. The Bible says He's counted the very hairs on our heads. He's that intimate with us. He knows everything about you. And you might be sitting here feeling like God could never forgive me. I've gone too far. Gone to the extreme. I've hurt so many people. Even my family. And if that's you and you feel like a failure, I want you to know today you're in good company. What do you mean by that, preacher? 
If I could go back, and I don't want to, but if I could go back and, and if I could remember all the horrible things I've said and done to my wife, to my kids, mostly before I met Jesus, you'd just be going, Ugh, you're creepy. Yeah, I was. I was creepy. I was a sinner. One of the best. I was good at it. Liar. Oh, I was good at lying. And then Jesus. That day came when I, I stood there on that press room floor. And my buddy who worked next to me said, pray this prayer after me. And I said yes to Jesus. Woo! And these tears are genuine. I, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not like Hollywood where I just put a little thing in my eye and when I went like that, a tear comes down. I'm just so thrilled to be loved by God. It brings tears to my eyes when I think about who I was and who I am. Who I was, who I am. I was a sinner, but now I'm saved because of Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes, many of us have failed. Failed God and people. And we failed them over and over and over and over. And if that's you, Stand up. Even if you're born again, stand up. If you failed people over and over, come on. But eventually, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we get the victory. Amen. And you will too. And I, I just wanted to share this last scripture with you from Romans 5. God showed his great love for you by sending Christ to die for you while you were still a sinner. I personalize that because I believe it's for you, whoever you are. Let me say it again. God showed his great love for you by sending Christ to die for you while you were still a sinner. You think that he didn't know what you've done? That adultery that you committed? You think he didn't know that? You think you've been hiding it? He knew. The sneaky peeks in your dark room at night when nobody's looking and you're on your computer, you know where you've been. God knows that. You think you're hiding something? Ha! Ah, he knows. You can't hide anything from him. God forgives you. But you've got to forgive yourself and you have to come to him and say, Lord, I need the blood of Jesus to cleanse me of my unrighteousness. And by doing this, 
Hear this. By doing this, your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when that judgment day comes and the books are open, you're going to be on the other side of Jesus. You're not going to have to worry. Father, (laughs) this is all yours. These are your people. You've made that so clear to me the last couple days. I'm just up here to be a mouthpiece, and I hope I've been effective. Lord, I ask right now that you would just minister to these people as only you can, just like you did to me in April of 1981 when you saved this wretch from that life of darkness, from that sinful lifestyle. You pulled me out of that, and you... You put me in a new place. And that moment when I prayed, a new lifted that burden of sin off of me, and I felt like a new person. And I was. As the Bible says, I became born again. And I pray that for whoever is here today, Lord. If that's you, and you want to just acknowledge that you need Jesus, you want to pray and invite the Lord to take hold of your heart today. If that's you, just lift your hand up real quick so I can see it. Hands going up all over. Anybody else? Hands going up. Come on. Don't be embarrassed. Really, you can put them down if you already raised them. I just want to say this. If you're here today and you're thinking, oh, what are they going to think? Hey, would you rather say yes to Jesus now? Or what if on July 10th, that's the day the Father says, go get him, Jesus. You know where you're going to be standing? You're going to be, you're going to be, what's that word that I used earlier? Mourning. You're going to be mourning that Jesus is here. I want you to be happy. I want you to be throwing your hands up and going, yes, Jesus is here. Not, oh no, I had my chance, but I didn't take advantage of it because I was afraid of what my neighbor might think. Well, you know what? Stop worrying about your neighbors. Start thinking about what's going to happen to your eternal soul. Well, Pastor, you're being awful strong, and I'm just saying, yes, I am, because God, the Holy Spirit, is saying, stop fooling around. The days are short. If you need to repent, lift your hand up right now. One, two, three. Come on. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, hands up all over the room. God bless you. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, you are so good. And I pray that even before we pray this prayer, that every person that raised their hand, Lord, you would supernaturally help them to get up, come back to you, get their strength from you, and then get the victory over whatever's holding them back. Whatever sin, if it's a sin, Whatever vice, if it's a vice, God, give us the victory in Jesus' name.
You may have prayed this prayer before, but I, I want to pray it again with you. I want you to say it out loud. And again, I say this because Jesus said, wherever two or more gather in my name, I am in your midst. Which tells me he's here. And he knows what you're about to say. And if it comes from your heart, he will forgive you. And your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And then you got to start living for him. And stop fooling around. Stop putting your toe into that temptation of whatever it is. It's going to kill you. The Lord wants to deliver you. Pray with us with me. Heavenly Father, I'm desperate. I need Jesus. I love you. I know I do. But I keep failing. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've sinned against heaven and against people. Right now, I ask you, in the name of Jesus, by his blood, wash me clean, forgive me of my sins, and make me a new person. I want to live for you. I want to shine for you. I want my life to give God the glory. So Lord, I accept Jesus and all he did for me on the cross. Help me to walk with you. To have a strong relationship with you. And to never forget what it costs. Jesus gave his all for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending him. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling me with the power of God and all the strength that I need. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Earlier we sang that song. I got to look at it. Raise a hallelujah. And in it, it talked about sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. And I'm not going to force you to sing that, unless you can. But what I, what I wanted to say here was yesterday, before I came to church, I have a, a wife that loves God. And she knows what to do. And I think she sensed it too, that all hell was breaking loose against us. And what did she do? She turns on the praise music. She goes in the living room, and I'm trying to study upstairs. And all I can hear is her down there worshiping. Amen. And worshiping. And worshiping. And I think she went on for, I hope it's all right I'm sharing this. Too late. <laughs> she went on for at least two hours. 
And I thought, you know, if she can do that, I can too. And you know what? When I got home last night, she didn't tell me this when I, because I didn't really tell her I was leaving. She knew where I was going. But when I got home, she goes, you know, after I got done praying and singing like that, I just, I just felt like it was, it was done. It was released. No more worries. The, we got the victory. And I, I looked at her and I went, well, that's how I felt when I left the church. It was awesome. And I only bring that up to say, when you find yourself in that place, and I, I think I've got a slide that has it, the last one. Can you put that up? Maybe you've blown it. Or maybe you will blow it. You know, you stood here today and you said, God, I'm all yours. <laughs> Get back up. Go back to the Lord. <laughs> Get your strength from Him, and that might happen through music, worship, praise, studying your Bible, prayer. You choose. Any of those are good things. That's what God's given us. There are weapons of warfare, right? And when you get all done and you feel like, ah, don't rest too long, that's when you go get the victory. And you say, enough's enough. Devil, get behind me. Let go of my family. You don't have any business getting a hold of my son or my daughter. You have no business messing with me with my marriage, with my bank account, with my health. Greater is he that lives in me than the one that controls this earth. To God be the glory. Get the victory. Enough said.